Bedlam is a scene of madness, chaos, or great confusion. And we're going to pair our mayhem with a bottle of wine. This, this is, is Bottle of Bedlam. What's up, Ange? Hey, Macy. Well, how are you today? I did not sleep very good last night, so I'm dragging a little bit, but I'm pretty good. I know. I'm kind of munchy. We're waiting on the Walmart order to come in. <laughs> what did we do before Walmart delivery? I don't know. I mean, I thought the pickup was bad enough. Like, yeah. have someone else grocery shop for you, drive up, pick a stall, and it, then bring It was out. amazing. It, it, it was life-changing. Yeah. But now we have delivery. So it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go sit up there and wait <laughs> in the parking lot for 30 minutes. My, when I'm talking about it, my dad will be like, what are you doing on your phone, Macy? I'm like, I'm grocery shopping, Dad. And he just kind of looks at me. He's he like, you know, he gets that yeah. glazed over look where he's Glazy like. Lazy Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Glazy Glenn. Yeah. He looks at me and my brother a lot of times with that look I can like, imagine that he would wow. with the two of y'all. Yes, yes. I, I know. But it is. It's been life-changing. I mean, and I love Instacart, though. I love it when you go to check out on Instacart and it says, you have saved one hour and 30 minutes of shopping time. Oh, I'm like, yeah, yes. I have. Uh-huh. I mean, that is shopping smarter. It is. And I think I spend less money. I think, oh, I for sure do. If yes. I just have, because if mm-hmm. I go into a Walmart or if I go into Brookshire's, then I will pick up things that I don't need. Yeah. If I shop on the app, I get only select what, what you I need, need. Pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. And so, and I then it keeps up with like your favorites. Yes. So it's easy and even quicker. And so when you buy the same things, like with us, I mean, I, you know, I feel like me and you, because we're in the throes of rearing children, you know, you tend to buy the exact same things every single week. Yeah. For for the Lunch, kids. Lunches, lunches breakfast, like that. things yeah. like that. But anyways, yes. Yeah, so we're waiting because we ordered some champagne to celebrate one week of us being Yay! podcasters. Yes. <laughs> it's almost been a whole week. And, and we were like, it's Sunday. So, yeah. Macy was on her phone saying, why are they not delivering to us right now at 9 o'clock in the morning? And I was like, well, it's Sunday, so I don't think they can. I think there's a Texas law against that. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, we're, so, anyways, we're waiting on our groceries, but we're going to record, and today, I, we're back in Texas with this case, I, I, um, here we go again. Here we go again. The I feel like, I feel like we're making our state. My Stanley just fell. If y'all heard that, sorry. Um, I feel like we're kind of making Texas seem a little cray cray, but, um, this case is, this case is really interesting and I hope you, I hope y'all like it. It's, it's got all the elements of, well, you just can't really imagine all the elements that this case has and possesses. And um, so we're just going to kind of jump in to, okay. the, to it okay. if you want to. I am ready. But I do want to compliment your new shoes. Thank you. They are super cute. Well, I splurged a little and got my, so I shouldn't have probably. I don't, I mean, because we're going to celebrate with the champagne. <laughs> 
but <laughs> cost I don't I don't know why. <laughs> okay, so I wanted these shoes for forever and you couldn't get them anywhere. And so I finally found them and they you didn't have to back order. So I took the plunge. Well, they're cute. And my feet are so cozy right now. Well, they're cute. They're Thank the you. Oh, you said what type are they? Tasman or something like that. Oh, well. I'd have to look. It's this long thing, but they're like backless and shoes like so that. Cute. You pull off a shoe so good. See, I have fat ankles, so I don't pull off shoes well. I pull off boots well because it, it covers <laughs> the, an- the ankles. Because it covers my ankles. <laughs> Macy, you know, I. A lot of things you could say about yourself, and I would say, stop. <laughs> but I know that even your dad makes fun my, of you for your listen, ankles. It is like a family understanding that if I ever grow into my ankles, we're yeah. going to have legit issues. Yeah. I don't know how a person, I mean, I have a big... Who bitch. did you inherit? It's a, ankles my from. grandmother. It's a Bane trait. It's it was the crooked pinkies and the ankles. No, my crooked pinkies. I don't know where my crooked pinkies came from, but my they, niece they, has them. Her pinkies, yeah, legitimately, especially Broken. the left one. Yeah, this one's really bad. Looks like she slammed it in a car. Yeah, door broken. They look broken right now. They do. Yes. They stay that way. Yeah. So I have crooked pinkies, a big old booty, and ankles. <laughs> That is the recipe. Yes. Of you are a lucky man, Brandon Tucker. <laughs> That's all I can say. He <laughs> loves so, every well, inch of your broken ankle. Uh-huh. I mean, your broken fingers and cankles. Well, we we put our legs up sometimes beside each other when we're watching television, and he's on numerous occasions been like, "Wow, Macy, your ankles are bigger than mine." <laughs> and Brandon is substantially larger than me. Yes. <laughs> Oh, but anyways, um, so like I said, today, the the crime, the the case that we're talking about, we're back in Texas. We're actually going to go two hours south of, of us. Okay. We're going to go to a little town called Carthage, Texas. And I think my brother maybe played baseball in Carthage a couple of times. I think I have been to Carthage, mm-hmm. but I don't I, I don't know that I've been as an adult. Yeah. But when I was reading about Carthage, it seems like most of, it seems like a normal East Texas small town. Um, There wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's anything necessarily special about it. I would say it's probably quaint. But um, one thing that I saw that I thought you would enjoy, it is the home of the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh. Yeah. Well, we should go there. I know. I knew that would kind of tickle your Mm -hmm, fancy. mm -hmm. So, Uh, but nothing, it was very quiet. It had always been very quiet, and then all of that changed August eighteen, August the 18th of 1997. After months of suspicion and him not being able to get in touch with his mother, a man named Rod Nugent and his daughter traveled to Carthage to find out what in the heck was going on with the mother and grandmother. Once there, Marjorie Nugent's concerned son, Rod, and the granddaughter filed a missing persons report. Now, sources kind of differ about how Rod actually got into his mother's house. Some people say they had to go through this whole process of involving the police and a locksmith, and then other sources kind of simplified and say, no, they just went to the house and gained entry rather quickly. But irregardless, they finally got into the home, 
and into the 6,000 square foot home. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a substantial <laughs> home. Miss Nugent was, was very well off. Once they got into the home to check on her, they found that the home was pretty much untouched. It didn't look like it was, it was, it wasn't like the home was dirty. It just looked like there hadn't been activity in the home for, for quite some time. Hmm. So the police were actually with Rod and his daughter and um, they were making their way through the home. Like I said, nothing sticking out, nothing's looking suspicious, but then the granddaughter, Marjorie's granddaughter, um, she saw, the only way I can describe it, my grandmother, in my grandmother's house, her kitchen had this room off of it, and in that room, they had her washing machine and dryer, and then a big freezer, like a, Mm -hmm. not a stand-up freezer that's part of like a refrigerator, but one of the lower. A lot of people around here do. Well, they're deer hunting, you have deer process, you know, we have bulk meat in Texas. Yes. (laughs) You know, we found out we have have a lot of it on on hand. (laughs) Well, I just, as bulk meat came out of my mouth just now, I'm thinking how the foreign listeners might interpret that. But just understand that we have animals processed. And so we would have lots of meat stored up. Stored up. And so it was like that with with Mm -hmm. Marjorie Nugent. She had one of those freezers off of her kitchen as well. But the granddaughter who obviously was more observant than every other person in the home that day said, Hmm, it's kind of weird that that's taped shut. I don't think granny normally taped her. Yeah. That seems a little odd. Yeah. So the policeman who was escorting her agreed that it was, that it was odd, but the deputy having good sense and I'm thankful said, Hey, sugar plum, why don't you step out of the room and let me let yeah. us uh, professionals check the freezer. And then he did. And as he removed the tape and opened the lid to the freezer, he discovered what everyone had been looking for. Oh, gosh. In the bottom of this freezer, under frozen food, the detective found the 81-year-old body of Marjorie Nugent, frozen and wrapped in a white sheet. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine... So she had been there for a while. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we'll find out. But yes, she, she had been there a while. Now, again, we said this is a small Texas town. So you find an 81-year-old woman frozen in her own freezer after months of her son not being able to get in touch with oh, them. Oh, months went by? They must months have not he had not ta- been able to get in. That's why he. That's why he upped. He actually lived. I believe. He, I believe the sources say he lived in Amarillo, and so he he didn't live in Carthage. And so after months of not being able to get in contact with his mother, and we're going to get into the debate about the condition of the family's relationship and how often Rod actually spoke with his mother. But just suffice it to say that at this point, the small Texas towns heads exploded. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was scandal beyond anything that they had ever experienced. So you can imagine how after the discovery that it was then discovered that Marjorie Nugent's only friend, Mm -hmm. her full-time caretaker, her traveling companion, and the sole heir to her estate was the local 
soft-spoken man named Bernie Tita. He had killed her. <gasps> he confessed. Oh. It was within within hours of... of well, if he, th- he eventually knew somebody would go to the house and see the taped freezer. No. I don't think Bernie did know that. Oh. Yeah. No. I don't think he did. So... What you have to understand about this crime and how truly terrible it was, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. So, Bernhardt Bernie Tita II, he was born August the 2nd, 1958. Bernie's dad, Bernhardt Sr., he was very, very musically inclined. He held various positions as a professor of music or a choral director um, in both churches and in schools. And like his father, little Bernie, had um, he discovered that he had musical and artistic talents at a very young age. Bernie's father was married. Bernie's mother was a little sweet lady named Leela May Jester. Mm-hmm. The, the couple had been married in 1957, so the year before Bernie was born. So his parents were married a year. Um, when Bernie was only almost two, they were all riding in a car, and there was a car accident, and Leela May was killed. Oh, God. Yes. According to different sources, Bernie's dad, who apparently had been driving the vehicle at the time of the accident, never forgave himself. Mm. And he began drinking very, very, very heavily. His father, however, did remarry in 1963, so Bernie was would have been about five mm-hmm. when his dad remarried. The new wife was a woman named Clara Catherine Wiley, and Clara was my mamaw's name, so mm-hmm. I love that name. Um, there isn't much known about Bernie's relationship with Clara, but I don't think it was a bad relationship. Yeah. But then, when Bernie was only 15 years old, his father, who had been battling an illness, passed away as well. Poor Bernie. So, by the time Bernie's 15, which just sucks as an age anyways. Mm-hmm. He's been through a lot. He's an orphan, essentially. Mm-hmm. He has a stepmom, but he's lost both his mom and his dad. So, you can imagine that was probably a pretty traumatic childhood, yeah. to say the least. It would later come out that during these years, and most accounts saying it began when he was about 12, that Bernie was being sexually abused by an uncle. Oh, gosh. I know. And if you think about it, like his, his mom has passed away. His dad was extremely depressed and drank very heavily. He had a stepmom who probably loved him, but maybe wasn't as involved as she maybe should have been. And she was caring for his father who had become ill pretty much right as they got married. So it's not hard to imagine that Bernie was a vulnerable kid and could have been easily preyed upon. Um, It's difficult. It's not to, it's not difficult to imagine that he would have been victimized by someone who Mm -hmm. was close and that no one would have really known to intervene. After the death of his dad, he and his stepmom moved actually to Northeast Texas, which yeah. that's geographically where we are. Yes. Bernie graduated from Cooper High School. Kidding me? <laughs> no. He went to Cooper. Does it say what, well, what year would around? Well, he was born in 58, so 18, so that would have been, what, 66 when he would have graduated? Probably-ish. No. That's not right. My math is so hard. If he oh, was 58 and 76. 76, yeah. 
So, oh, I think that's the year my parents graduated high school. No, because my parents were born in 56. God, you asked Something hard questions. Like Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to he call you out. He graduated in the everyone. 70s. Listen. <laughs> I read and write. I don't do arithmetic. <laughs> um, so, anyways, he graduated with Cooper High School, and I just couldn't help but chuckle when I was typing yeah. this because your family is from Cooper. Yeah. Your dad, oh, didn't yeah. he graduate from Cooper? Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. And Harley. Yes. Your your niece graduated from Cooper. So um anyway, so close. He's he's in our neck of the woods now. When he was in high school, Bernie took a part-time job at a funeral home to help support him and his younger sister. According to a really excellent article in Texas Monthly, the the article is called Midnight in the Garden of East Texas. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's really well written. Bernie started doing yard work at the funeral home, and then he began helping with funerals. His sister told the uh, the author of the article, I really think that because of the loneliness he went through in his childhood, Bernie made it his calling to serve people in times of their own need. So I think his heart was really compassionate, Mm -hmm. and I think he was probably really sweet. After he graduated from high school, he moved to to Louisiana, and he went to college and obtained an associate's degree in mortuary science. Fun. Yeah, I think just in general, there is a morbid cloud that hangs over the idea of being a mortician. I do, too. Well, and it's probably like... I feel like he probably just latched onto the first thing that he saw that he was good at, probably. Maybe. Somehow, yeah. you know, or, I mean, maybe it is, maybe he did seek out working in maybe. the yard of a... And then to help, start help with the funerals. Well, so, weirdly enough, my mom, when, when my mom, when we were younger, my mom was a hairdresser. I don't think hairdresser. I think that's kind of like stewardess. I don't think I'm supposed to call them hairdressers anymore. I think I'm supposed to call them like hairstylists, but okay. my mom did hair yes. when we were little kids. And, um, one of the things that she's done kind of my whole life, like not on a regular basis, but for family and for friends of our family is my mom has done the hair of people who have passed away. I did not know that. Yes. And a lot of times I can remember being a kid and thinking it was weird. Mm-hmm. But then as I got older, it, I don't know, it kind of made me sort of proud of my mom because it's like, if you think about it, this is, especially if say someone, say there was an elderly woman who really cared, you know, these sweet little old ladies that go to the beauty shop every mm-hmm. Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning to get their yeah. hair done. That's such a big deal in Texas. Yeah. And so if you're, if they've passed away and their family wants them to look beautiful in that last moment where the casket is opened. I don't know. Now that I'm older, I have such a respect for my mom that she was able to, to do that. That, that she was able hard. to do that. It's kind of like a gift that you give yeah. that person and their family to yeah. make them look beautiful. And I say that because as Bernie would become a mortician and as, and he, as he was beginning this career and working for different people. One of the uh, people that Bernie worked with said that he waited well on the families. He would sing solos behind the screen during funerals, and he was a darned good embalmer. But he had a special talent of making the hair of the deceased look really natural. 
Mm-mm. And I don't know, when I read that, I thought, way to go, Lita. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just, Mama always says she just wants me to make sure she has lipstick on. <laughs> don't worry about my hair, Macy. I... Oh, no, she understands that I'll worry about her hair. Like, that's understood. But she's always just like, you just make sure I have lipstick on and wear black. Those are her two things. Oh, uh, no, I know. But in 1985, at 27 years old, Bernie moved to the small town of Carthage, Texas. It was sort of an interesting choice for a single young man. But the fact was that he was beloved. I I can imagine that he was probably like kind of stuck out like a sore thumb when he first moved to Carthage. But after a while, the residents of Carthage adopted him and they just loved him him. Carthage was known as the gas capital of the United States. <laughs> Seriously. No, I'm not making it. It literally was. Of once, the United of States. Of the United States. Okay. Once upon a time, one of the world's biggest natural gas fields laid beneath the small town. In the 1940s and 50s, men made lots and lots of money thanks to an enormous gold mine of gas that laid right below the town's surface. But when Bernie Tita arrived in Carthage, he did not understand, nor did he know, that he was moving into a town that was filled with widows who had lost these rich... Oh, dear. He's going to get himself into trouble. Well, it's not going to... Oh, gosh. I know. So you've got to think, all this money's been made. All these families have made tons of money. These men have now... We're... We've earned the 90s, so they've all grown old, and they're all passing away. Well, the women, their wives are still living and have all this money. And here comes Bernie. And he's going to be, he's a mortician. Yeah. So he's going to be meeting these women in moments of grief. He's going to be meeting them as they're burying (gasps) their husbands. Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. In fact... Bernie was so well-liked, though, within his community that in the article that I read, it said, and I quote, by all accounts, he was very well-liked by everyone in the small town and was an active member in his Methodist church. He taught Sunday school and sponsored Little League teams. No one had anything bad to say about Bernie. Now, I kind of thought about that for a minute, and I was like, I don't know that I know anybody that somebody doesn't have something bad to say about him. Well, he was new. They didn't know him his whole life. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, if you pulled a, if you pulled in. 20 people about me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have a lot to talk about, Macy. Lots no, I'm to just say, kidding. And I'm going to say the, uh, the percentage of negativity would probably be higher than the percentage of positivity, but, uh, but not for Bernie. Bernie was very, very well liked and he was, he was, he fit into the community well. So like I said, Bernie's moving in and all of these wealthy local men are sadly passing away. And that is what was the case with the elderly Mr. R.L. Rod Nugent. Oh, no. Back to the Nugent name. So, in March of 1990, Mr. Nugent unfortunately passed away after being sick. After his passing, his widow, Marjorie Midyett Nugent, who many would describe as arrogant, sour, and demanding. That sounds 
unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) And downright mean. Yeah. Most people said she was just downright mean. But when she lost her husband, she went to Hawthorne Funeral Home to handle her funerals. I'm sorry. I hope I don't struggle with talking again today. I'm sorry (laughs) if I do. To handle her husband's funeral, funeral arrangements. And guess where Bernie worked? There. At Hawthorne. Yes. Yes. Rod and Margie, as she was referred to by many, had been married for over 50 years. Margie? Margie. And we have Margies. We talked about this. Yes. We, they, All the a, Margies are mean. No, not my Margie. In our stories. Yes. In our stories, our Margies yeah. are mean, but in our lives, our Margies are correct. Great. But they had been married for over 50 years, and they only had one child. It was the gentleman we were talking about in the beginning, Rod Jr., Bernie, again, he was the assistant funeral director, and he was responsible, actually, for embalming Mr. Nugent's body. He sang a hymn during the service, and it was in this moment that Bernie and Marjorie's lives collided. According to the website, allthat'sinteresting.com, Bernie was known to have a soft spot for elderly widows. Many remember him checking on grieving families and widows in the days and the weeks after their loved ones' funerals. It appeared, Angela, that at least in the beginning, his motivation was good and his actions were harmless. I mean, after all, most people in Carthage saw Marjorie as completely alone. Yeah. Her son hadn't lived there. She, 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 we will find out that she claims they didn't get along. Her husband had just passed away. So, and she was relatively unpopular mm-hmm. in the community. So, so when it she, was good for him to go check on her. Right, she really. didn't have really anybody else. Yeah. And, and it wasn't like he didn't have a pattern of it. it, it, it he did this yeah, for, for women. Yes, yeah. for widows. Obviously, her family members, though, they remember the time very differently. Depending on which source you read, Marjorie hated her family, her son, and his children. Oh. Yes. Uh, they, she, most people said that she claimed that they were very estranged and that she had was very angry because they had not been by her side when Rod Sr. passed away. She hadn't spoken to one of her sisters who lived in Carthage. Oh. For since the 1980s. Oh, my goodness. Because they had a fuss over their mother's estate. <laughs> so, Marjorie, she's. Doesn't I think, Marge have enough? Well, with her I don't, six thousand square foot house. Well, I think she's in a six thousand square foot house all by her lonesome. No, I mean like get over it with your sister. Oh, do you mean fighting? Well, I think sometimes though, fam- Miss Barbara, the sweet lady who works with me, she always says family is messy. I don't know that it matters how much you have. I think when parents pass away, I think unfortunately it tends to create conflict in the siblings I I don't know maybe not in all families but I have seen where that has happened in some her family so Marjorie's claiming that her son and her her granddaughters were 
inattentive to her during, you know, her husband's death. She's mad at her sister because they had a, you know, fight fuss over their mother's estate. Now, if you ask Rod Jr., he claims that they had been relatively close for not living near each other and that there was no ill will between him and his mother. They claim that everything changed after Rod Sr. passed away. They claim that it's Bernie and his consistent and continuous involvement with Marjorie that actually created a rift between the wealthy widow oh, and her family. Okay. Now, I'm going to say the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I think there's probably a little bit of truth to both of it, but I think that each side is claiming what's most convenient for them. Yeah. What... Re- No matter what the truth is, though, in the days and weeks after Mr. Nugent's funeral, Bernie and Margie developed a very unique friendship. Oh, dear. mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm scared. (laughs) As well you should be. Oh, gosh. Margie, more than 40 years older than Bernie. Oh, wow. Okay. Welcomed his kindness and his company. Mm -hmm. It started out very innocently with Bernie just popping in checking on her a few days after the funeral. And I want to point out that according to Skip Hollingsworth's article, that's the Midnight in the Garden of East Texas, Bernie would not only focused on widows if they were wealthy. Like it wasn't Marjorie's wealth in the beginning that made Bernie be attentive. Yeah. In fact, one of the first widows that Bernie took a spe- special interest in was a lady named Gracie Duke. Oh, that's cute. I want to be her friend. Yeah. Gracie Duke. Her deceased husband had been a mechanic, Mm -hmm. and they had lived a very simple, a very humble life. And Bernie had really tended to her after she lost her husband. However, there was really no getting around it. Marjorie Nugent was the wealthiest widow in Carthage, and Bernie took a very special interest in her. The quick and casual hellos and how are yous uh, that Bernie initially started with Marjorie, they blossomed into a full-fledged companionship. Within mere weeks of Rod Sr.'s funeral, Marjorie gifted Bernie his Rolex watch. Oh, that's weird. I think it's kind of tacky. That's weird. Well, and you have a son. Give it to your son. If you're going to give it to anybody... Give but it to you. She yourself. hates him, supposedly. Uh, and this, it's That's little a, things be a like jab. that. Uh huh. Right. And it's little things like that that make me think they weren't getting along and that there was a rift and that they were estranged because no mother. Buy him another one. You if don't want to give him a Rolex, but don't give him. Right. When you have one son and your husband mm-hmm. passes away, most moms I know would gift the son yeah. but she gave it to bernie i mean that's weird that's what i said i would notes. feel weird as bernie wearing accepting it, it. I, I don't wearing think... it accepting it all the things all the things Ew. agreed the two of them began eating meals together they began traveling and i don't mean and not just like popping over to big d not going to dallas or even just flying to new york to watch a broadway show no this little new duo they traveled the world together visiting several countries taking cruises on the nile river (laughs) and the rhine the nile and the rhine river okay 
Marjorie was obviously paying for everything. Her husband left her millions from his success in the oil and gas industry, and she seemed quite set on spending every flipping dime of it however she wanted to. Numerous people have said she was determined to spend every penny so that her only child and his immediate family members would not receive oh any of gosh. it. I know. And her behavior indicates that that was her follow through with plan. that story. Mm. However she may have seen the companionship, however Marjorie might have, it was clear to almost everyone that Bernie was not interested in Miss Nugent in a sexual way. Mm-hmm. In fact, most sources indicate that Bernie was not interested in any woman of any age okay. in a sexual way. All right. Okay. Generally, it is thought that Bernie Tito was and is still gay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he's still with us. Bernie is still alive, yes. Okay. So, well, that makes me feel better because it was creepy right. if he was interested in right an old lady. Well, and see, I agree with you, but I don't know why. But I was thinking to myself, that is such a social conditioning of us because when we see an 80-year-old man and a 40-year-old woman, it's we're all... It's still creepy, it's but, it, but it is creepier to me. But it's like socially us. acceptable, I yeah, think. probably. We still think it's creepy and we still talk about it. Yeah. But I think that there's something like creepier mm-hmm. and weirder about it being an older, older woman, woman and a younger too. man. Yeah. I don't know, in some weird way, it almost makes it less weird that Bernie is gay and that he is choosing this type of companionship for me. Because if you think about it, he didn't have a wife and kids that he had to rush home to at the end of every day. Mm-hmm. He and, and if he was gay, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. I mean, in small town Texas in the 90s, it wasn't as accepted yeah and he probably couldn't have freely had the preferred companionship that he had and so i think he's like a normal human being and wanted companionship yeah so i think to me it's almost like okay it's not weird it explains it to me he wasn't looking for a sexual companion he was just looking for a friend yeah and i don't think i don't know that marjorie looked at bernie it was a good friend to find it's perfect to cruise down the Nile <laughs> and the Rhine and give you a Rolex and jet a dead you. guy's Rolex, <laughs> her dead husband's Rolex. Yeah. But it was generally thought, like I said, that Bernie was gay. But lots of people in town didn't believe that about Bernie. And they believed that there was something salacious going on between old Bernie and Marjorie. Oh. So you can imagine the talk at the local donut and coffee shop. Yeah. It was, they were really enjoying, I mean, big news in a little town. That's, that's going to get some Mm -hmm. attention. Definitely. Remember, this is a small town. People are bored and any news is still that news. They saw them out at dinner on a regular basis. They heard about their extravagant travels and people are like, what the hell is going on between Bernie and Margie? And I can imagine, like, when I was thinking about this case, when they traveled foreign and internationally, people probably saw them and thought that it was a mother and her son. And so... That's true. Yeah. When they were off on these foreign vacations, it probably wasn't weird. But in a small town like Carthage, Texas, everyone knew Marjorie was She could almost... She could be his grandma. 
Yes. One, my grandmother was a grandmother at like 38. Yeah. And she's 40 years older than him. Yes. So I think it was definitely when they were away from Carthage, people probably didn't pay them much attention. Mm-hmm. But at home, people paid them a lot of attention. So in addition to their extensive travels, and when I say extensive, I don't just mean rivers. I mean, they went to Russia, Hong Kong, Egypt, Thailand. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like he went from not going anywhere and ever doing anything and living paycheck to paycheck, probably not even that, to now traveling the world first class. It would, it, it was amazing. Yeah. So Marjorie also bought Bernie things like, oh, I don't know like a car and a house. Do you know if our local funeral home has any <laughs> openings? I knew. I've just been waiting. I knew you were going to say it at some point. I just didn't know at what point you were going to say it. I, know. I mean, seriously. I want to go to Egypt. I want to go to Hong Kong. I don't mean that, Brandon. I'm, I'm so happy to go to Branson. <laughs> And rather quickly, Bernie began to take on more and more of Marjorie's financial affairs. According to him, by 1993, Marjorie had finally convinced him to quit his job at the funeral home and to become her full-time... This is sounding more couple-ish now. Well, it is a complicated case. It is. It sounds like it is. It is. It's complicated. And I believe that there were moments in their relationship that probably, I think in the beginning, it was innocent. I think it was innocent for both of them. I truly do. I think, I don't think that either one of them entered into this friendship with motives of anything. I I really, truly do not believe that. But as you read about it and as you watch different things and as you find out more, they both began to have an ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. Everything about the it relationship. just led to that. Changed for both yeah, of them. Yeah. It wasn't just, it wasn't one or the other. But Marjorie did. She convinced him to quit his job and to become her full-time employee. Marjorie seemed to have the utmost faith in Bernie. And everything that she did showed that she completely trusted him with everything to include her finances. Of which there was a lot. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about just a little bit of money. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars in the early 90s. Eventually, Bernie was given access to and control of all of her bank accounts. And he would... Mm -hmm. Never a good idea. No. No. But there is a really big string attached to him controlling her bank accounts, and to his new jet-setting lifestyle. Over time, Marjorie Nugent began to have a seemingly endless list of demands Oh gosh! for all of Bernie's time each and every single day. I would say, and a lot of people agree, that Bernie, that Marjorie's expectations became unreasonable. She required that Bernie was available to her 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never got a day off. 
Did she pay him or was he just allowed the luxury lifestyle? There was salary involved, but I mean, like I said, I mean, she bought his car. She yeah. bought his home. He was a kept man. Mm-hmm. He, he had no expenses in his life. And then she was paying him. And then she was taking him on all these trips. So, but, but like I said, he was at her beck and call at all times. Yeah. And if she got mad or frustrated with Bernie, she was quick to remind him that in return for his loyalty and companionship and constant attention, she was not only supporting him right now, but that she had changed her will and made him the sole heir to her estate. Oh my gosh. Yeah, let me say it again for those in the back. <gasps> she has changed her will and made Bernie the sole heir to her estate. So, Angela, by 1997, it was an increasingly volatile situation. Oh, gosh. Marjorie's demands were growing more and more exhaustive. Bernie's tolerance for her was beginning to give way. And according to investigationdiscovery.com, Marjorie expected Bernie to do everything from her for her, from brewing her morning coffee to running all of her errands to having lunch with her at 1145 every single day to picking out her clothes that she would wear to the, for the oh day. Oh, my gosh. To plucking her chin hairs <gasps> and clipping her toenails. <laughs> Macy. Plucking chin hairs, clipping toenails. She's making him earn the millions. Oh, she's and and that's what I think is so bad. She's a multimillionaire. You go get a wax and a petty. Like she doesn't have to have oh, him no. do this. She wants to make him earn it. I'm not making light of it. Oh my god! But seriously, I I know he was being given. A lot by Marjorie, but she was... He's got to be thinking to himself, is this worth it? Because 100%. I can just go work and make money and be fine. And go back to the life he had known. Yeah. But I think he was spoiled to the life he had acquired. And, but she, like, I mean, you said it perfectly. She was going to make him earn every single dime. While he's throwing up in his mouth. I mean... Clipping toenails. I, I can't imagine being an, a woman and wanting a man half my age you to do You have to be that. a certain kind of woman to require the yeah. misery of others yes. to make yourself feel good <laughs> or something. Well, but I just feel like I would feel so vulnerable mm-hmm. in that. Like, you know, I don't, there are things that I do to maintain myself that Brandon Tucker does not know I do. Exactly. Like Gus telling me in front of y'all yesterday that I had a beard. Or like, what, what did Gus tell us yesterday that... or? That we well, were, he said, I, I guess oh, it was my makeup or something. Wasn't but it wasn't. In. And, well, it wasn't hair, so I don't know what it was. I don't either, but I, I think he was just saying that to be a little turd. But then Anna Claire looking at both of us and saying, y'all are white. Listen, it's winter. It's like hard, kids. It's winter. Yeah, we we are pasty. But you, do, you don't buy groceries facial. or buy spray tan. Listen, Anna Claire. 
Well, do you want to eat or do you want to look at us and like it? Well, and she just kept lifting her shirt, showing us her beautiful bronze tan. And I'm like, don't speak to me right now. But Bernie was, Bernie was being relegated to some very menial duties as far as Marjorie's daily care and maintenance. He had, he may have secretly wanted her money. And I do believe that at this point Mm -hmm. he had acquired quite the taste for her, for her money. She did it. But I think that it's safe to say that she wanted total control over Bernie's life. Yeah. He was probably worn out and tired of being at her every beck and call. But at the same time, she was growing more and more dependent on him. She's just getting older. Yeah. And so at the same time that she's becoming more dependent and probably really is becoming more vulnerable, he's becoming less and less patient. So it is a very bad situation, a very, very bad situation. In her mind, though, she was paying him and supporting his lifestyle, and she was planning to leave every dime that they did not spend together to Bernie. I'm sure I'm sure Marjorie was like, oh, I give you everything and I expect for you to jump and say how high and what Marjorie giveth Marjorie could taketh away. It's probably safe to assume that deep down Bernie knew he did owe her. Yeah. So he was probably felt guilty. Yeah. When he resented her or when he didn't want to do these things for her. But I also think it's safe to say that most of us would not handle this situation very freaking well. Yeah. Because he could have said, no, I'm not clipping your toenails or plucking your chin hairs. Like, I mean, he could have been like, Marjorie, let's go to a a nail place. Yeah. Let's go to a beauty shop. Go get or a salon pedicure together. And let's, right. Because he would have probably loved that. Yeah. And so, but she, and sh- they had the money to do it. So, in my notes, I said, should Bernie have simply stopped taking care of her and t- stopped taking her money? Yes. Yeah, that at would this have point. Yes, that would have solved the problems and it would have avoided the really big one that was on the horizon. But they were both, they had become codependent. And I can see how long-term Marjorie's demands begin to wear him down. But I also think that at some point he he made the choice to to not walk away. And that that, that choice to not say, I know myself well enough to know that I'm beginning to resent her and hate her. The fact that he chose to stay around mm-hmm. when he knew that that's how he was feeling toward her. That's where Bernie goes from faithful companion to what to he meet. Yeah, to what he becomes. And like the the saying goes... All good things must come to an end. Oh, gosh. Like Marjorie's life. Mm -hmm. In the months leading up to her death, Margie's demands on Bernie and his time and his intention, they intensified. I don't know how they intensified, but all the sources just say that they did. Marjorie Nugent had quite the reputation for being able to destroy someone verbally. Many people talked about her rudeness and referred to her as, quote, the meanest woman in Carthage. Oh, So there's little to no doubt that the more Bernie tried to pull away, she was going to become more and more abusive with her words and more and more controlling about his time. According to almost all the sources, she gave him a pager. And if he was not with her, 
She paged him incessantly. Oh, gosh. Her possessiveness began to take a toll on Bernie, and he confided in close family members and friends that Marjorie was, quote, evil. Okay. They said this about her before. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, you hear about older people getting crazier, you know, as they age yeah. because of different things with their mind and everything. Do you think it's that? Or do you think they just got to know each other so well that she just, her true personality Okay, so I'm, I'm so glad that you bring that up. Because, yes, there were, in, in not every source, but in some of the sources, they did say that Marjorie was suffering from some sort of dementia. Mm -hmm. They did say that she was sort of beginning to lose her cognitive control and that she was, I mean, I think there's a natural loss of that with age. I mean, I don't think everyone who gets, starts becoming forgetful has dementia or Alzheimer's, but in some of the sources, it did reference Marjorie's declining mental health. I can see that as a older woman Mm-hmm. being used to having control of right. things. And of then, everything. And then having the fear of him mm-hmm. not being there when she needs him and having nobody and then not exactly realizing what she's doing, but right. yes, requiring him there all the time and doing the pager and everything like that just as a desperate tactic. And if your personality is sort of turned to be harsh anyways, then as you get older and as you like begin to lose the ability to maybe suppress or even control some of those, you know, I I say all the time, I can't wait till I get older and I can say all the things that I really think because that's what happens when you get older. Your give a damn is broken. Yeah. And I think that, so I think there was a lot of things going on with Marjorie. I think she probably was kind of a controlling rude woman to begin with. And then I think that as she aged, I mean, she lost her husband. She's finance. She's estranged from her family. She, she was probably, it was probably a little bit of everything with Marjorie. And, and I think Bernie, I think in his moments of clarity, I think he probably could see past her meanness and her controllingness. And I think he was able to see what we're talking about, but I think on a daily basis, an hourly basis, a minute by minute by basis, I think he was worn down. Yeah. And I think that that's probably what brings us to where we're going. So after he told his family and his friends that Marjorie was quote evil, he also admitted that he was scared to leave her. He admitted that he battled his conscience and a fear of what she might say or do or take from him. After all, he had seen firsthand that she was willing to strip loved ones of everything. I mean, Rod wasn't getting anything if she didn't yeah, love Yeah, exactly. So, in Bernie's mind, it's like if she doesn't love her son enough and grandkids enough to leave it to them, she sure as heck could cut me yeah. off and write me out of it. In his confession, Bernie admits to having, had, to having had thoughts of attacking Marjorie in the weeks and months leading up to her mu- murder. He wrote, quote, I had thoughts of hitting Marjorie in the head with a bat or anything for a couple of months prior to November the 19th of 1996, but I did not want her to suffer, end quote. Oh, gosh. A baseball bat? Somebody. 
I mean, you know, he went through a lot in his life, mm-hmm. but he's never had any background of being violent. Right. All he's done is literally devote his life to people going through hard times. Right. And he was driven to thoughts of killing a little old lady. Like, it had to be bad. It had to be so bad because he has zero inclination. Other than that, like, he has no history of anything he just other than just being well, the sweetest. I was about to most, say he just snapped when he did it, but if he's admitting he thought about it for a long time, which is what screws him in the end. Yeah, yeah. So on November nineteenth, nineteen ninety six, Bernie, like always, went to Marjorie's house at seven a.m. to make her coffee. He then returned to his home, which was very nearby, to clean up and get ready for the day. According to most sources, he returned to Marjorie's house around ten a.m. According to Bernie. They were going to go somewhere that day. So they got dressed. They were passing the pantry, the little room, like I was talking about, Mm -hmm. off the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And they were headed out to the garage. Normally, he said that the pantry was where the 22-gauge shotgun that Marjorie had insisted that Bernie buy so that he could shoot armadillos, birds, and pretty much anything else that annoyed her that was in her yard. And Bernie did not want to shoot them. And she made him. But normally, the the shotgun was in the pantry. However, according to his confession, Bernie had taken the twenty two gauge shotgun from the pantry and moved it into the bathroom near the garage. And without provocation, in that moment, he shot his friend Marjorie Nugent in the back four times. He said, quote, I moved the rifle into the bathroom near the garage. She had walked out into the garage toward my car. I took the rifle, and I shot Marjorie in the back. She fell face first. Marjorie was still breathing heavily, so I shot her again. I may have shot her one more time. I didn't want her to suffer. End quote. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it definitely was not self-defense. Right. It was not a crime of passion. I would say it was super premeditated. Uh Uh-huh. I mean... He moved the gun. Just exit yourself from her life. Right. And and that's what I mean. Like, if that's, in my mind, a lot of people talk about, oh, he moved the gun. That's when he decided. But in my mind, when Bernie knew how he was feeling toward her and thinking of hitting her in the head with a baseball bat, and he chose not to remove himself from her life, that is when he made the choice to do what he has ultimately done yeah you don't have visions of hitting someone in the head with a baseball Mm -mm. bat and it end well that's just not normal in itself and he says he didn't want her to suffer like if I'm so angry at a person that I'm looking at if I'm looking at their face and I'm envisioning myself hitting them with a baseball bat like I want them to suffer they have ignited a hatred I've just never in my life thought I want to hit somebody with a baseball bat honestly like I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I can I can say the words like I wish he would get hit in the head with a baseball bat, but the act of actually th- like yeah, you, people say stupid stuff all the time. But actually thinking about that and me doing that, I would never think that in my head. Well, 
at the risk of making myself sound like a psychopath, I have, <laughs> I have been angry enough at people, at, at a person in my like. I have been brought to a point where I'm like, I could do this because I want them to hurt. But he continuously says, I thought I had thoughts about doing this, but I didn't want her to suffer. Yeah. Those, those, that's what I can't reconcile. Yeah. It's like, if you're thinking about doing that you to a person. You did want her to suffer. You, you, otherwise you don't think of hitting someone. Well, if you shoot somebody, you want them to suffer. I don't know. I think shooting someone is actually a quite quick way of making, I mean, if you shoot them in the right way, I don't know. I, we're going to find Bernie didn't know what he was doing. Bernie didn't even want to kill a bird. And then he shoots her four times in the back. Oh, my God. The fact that it's the back, too. Like, all of it's oh, just... an 81-year-old it, woman. Yeah. In the back. I mean, I'm thinking of my grandmother. Yeah. And my mamma. And... Just walk away, Bernie. Walk away, Bernie. Walk Go away. get a job at the funeral home. I know. After he shot Margie... Bernie wrapped her body in a sheet, and I don't know why he continuously says this in his confession. Oh, dear. But he tells them that it was a Land's End sheet. It's like it made it better that it was designer. It wasn't the Walmart no, sheet. No, it was a high-thread count. The <laughs> guest bedrooms. <laughs> this, was, this was like an Egyptian cotton, real nice. But he says, I wrapped her in a Land's End sheet, and I placed her in her own freezer. He then put duct tape on the freezer. And then, after shooting What's the What's the point of the duct tape? She, he thought she was so evil she would come back to life? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, if he hadn't put the duct tape on it, they Nobody probably would have, would have ever looked in the freezer. He probably would have gotten away with it. The only thing that alerted Why the granddaughter the was the duct tape. Put duct tape on it. I don't think in this moment Bernie was thinking. I wonder real if there were people that came and cleaned the house and stuff. Yes. And he said, you know, we're just not, there's some stuff in the freezer. I don't need you. Like he was afraid somebody had would to be see something. it when he wasn't there. Because her house was uh, kept up by a, by a housekeeper. Yeah. It, because the, when I when they entered the home in the beginning of the story, it was just an undisturbed home. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like it had 16 layers of dust or anything like that. Yeah. And so the house had been kept tidy. So that's a good point. It was probably just because there were going to be people in and out of the home. And so he like maybe thought that having duct tape on it would be like, eh, stay out. You yeah, can't open he that. Yeah, came up with some yeah. kind of story. After he sh shot her and... um put the duct tape on the freezer. He uh, went about tending and taking care of himself financially. He cleaned up and he went to a rehearsal of the production of Guys and Dolls and bought pizza for the entire cast using Marjorie's credit card. Same day? Same day. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets ugly. This is where you go from like Bernie being your boy to Bernie being bad. If that story is indeed true, which it is, that was just the beginning of Bernie spending Marjorie's money. According to some sources, Bernie, because he had power of attorney, was able to spend her money without restriction or care. He supposedly bought cars and promised his church that he would build a new wing for their congregation. Oh, gosh. He is said to have invested in a Western clothing store called 
and prepare yourself for this, oh, gosh, Angela. I can't. I'm gonna need you to. I'm gonna need you to hold on to your panties. <laughs> this Western store was called Boot Scoot and Western Wear. Now, of people already was. think that Texans, that we're just a bunch of horse-riding, boot-wearing hillbillies. I have never had a pair of boots on in my... I mean, I've had fashion cowboy boots. But, like, I didn't wear Rockies back in the day. I've never had a pair of Wranglers. But when people hear stuff like this, boot scooting Western wear... Well, my sister bought me tickets to an Alan Jackson concert, and I, I will say that I went and got myself a pair of Rocky Mountain jeans and a sparkly <laughs> shirt. I could have put a sash on and been a rodeo queen. Was it Pearl Snap? Uh-huh. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think it's fine. I love Western clothes. I think cowboy hats, I wear one on the beach every year, but Bernie apparently thought that it was a worthy investment, and so he gave Boot Scootin' some money. In Carthage? In Carthage. Mm -hmm. In addition to the cars and the church wings and the Western clothing store, it is also alleged that Bernie used her money to finance German gay porn. Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. I have... S German gay porn. Why German? I don't know. Maybe he likes brats and sauerkraut. I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to let that soak okay. in for a okay. moment, kind of marinate. Go on. Um, but I, in my notes, I said I have so many questions. Yes. In the end, it is estimated that Bernie Titus spent upwards of $2 million of Marjorie Nugent's almost $10 million estate. As he spent her money, people in Carthage began to say, Hmm. Something's fishy. Yeah. What's, where, where's, where's Marjorie? After all, for years, the town folk had seen them constantly together. And now it's just him. So when old Bernie boy started showing up everywhere solo. He needs solo, to calm it down. He needs to cool his jets. When he started showing up, this observant little community began to whisper yeah. and talk. And Bernie, but Bernie always had an excuse. People would say, where's Marjorie? Uh, you just missed her. She's taking a nap. She's not feeling well. She's gone to visit family, which everybody should have known was just a load of malarkey because everyone in the town talked about how she didn't have a good relationship right. with her family. So after months and months and months of not being able to reach his mother, we're back to Rod Jr. Mm -hmm. Whether they were estranged or not, Rod along with his daughter, made the trip to Carthage, and that's where they discovered the horrific frozen truth. Marjorie Nugent had been hidden in her freezer for more than nine months. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Before, I mean, that just goes to show they didn't communicate. Because Absolutely. nine months goes by, really? That's a pregnancy. If a week went by, and I didn't he should have been coming there. If I did not, I hear from my parents, if I did not hear from my parents, for a day, yeah, I would be like, all right, something's... Unless I knew they, they were out of town. They definitely didn't communicate. They did not. Nine have. months, really? Yeah. According to the Texas Monthly piece, Marjorie Nugent was the richest widow in an eccentric town full of rich widows. Bernie Tita was an assistant funeral home director who had become her companion. When she disappeared, nobody seemed alarmed. When he confessed to killing her... No one seemed outraged. I want you to let that sink in. 
She was bad. She was disliked. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to the heart of old Marjorie. Only Jesus can do that. But the fact that That she disappeared and nobody cared and then he confessed to it. And we're going to see. People don't care. Even when he says he did it. Yes. If everything about Marjorie is true, and even if Bernie was the nicest man in the world, it is insanity to think that she was that disliked. It is crazy to think that she was hated by literally everyone. Because in reality, there were people who were concerned about Marjorie's well-being when she was con- when she disappeared. There were people in her life, like her stockbroker, a man named Lloyd Tiller, who tried to warn Marjorie about Bernie. He didn't say anything bad about Bernie, but he was just, when all this stuff was happening, when she was giving him authority and control over all of her money, Lloyd was just like, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you don't really know. Because if she hadn't have done that, it probably wouldn't have happened. Right. Bernie probably would not have stayed. Yeah. And ultimately killed her. He was very concerned then when even though Bernie had control of her money, Lloyd and Marjorie still talked on the reg. So when Marjorie just like ghosted him, when she stopped responding, Lloyd was like, where's Marjorie? What happened to Marjorie? Yeah. There were lots of people in the town who thought she just seemingly vanished, and they were not convinced by Bernie's, oh, she's not feeling well, oh, she's visiting family claims. Everybody starts talking. Everybody starts talking. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely say that before Bernie, Marjorie Nugent, she was a lonely woman, but she was not alone by any means. She was lonely. She didn't have a lot of friends, but it wasn't like no one would notice her disappearance. Yeah. But it didn't matter. Bernie had confessed almost immediately. And even though he admitted to the crime and described in explicit detail what he had done to Margie, the people of Carthage just couldn't reconcile the jovial, friendly man they had grown to know and love with the words that were coming out of his mouth. They simply refused to believe that Bernie would or could have killed Marjorie and placed her body in the freezer. In fact, the district attorney who tried Bernie, a man named Danny Buck Davidson, had to request a change of venue because potential jurors admitted that regardless of what Bernie confessed to, they weren't going to convict him. Like, they would walk up to him in the grocery store and be like, Buck, listen, we don't care what Bernie's saying. We don't care if he shot her. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine can you imagine? No. No, because that's not, that, but that is how much they loved him, and that's how much they disliked her. Danny Buck, Davis, Danny Buck Davidson, he actually admitted that it was because of this and because he knew that Bernie would not be convicted that he requested a change of venue. One of the people that, one of the men that walked up to Buck in the town said, listen, but Danny, it's hard for me to believe that old Bernie could fire a gun straight. He acts, you know, well, effeminate. You can tell he's never been deer hunting in his entire life. 
I mean, I like how you added that accent. You're so welcome. Like, I feel like I just kind of made it even more. That's when I know we don't have accents. It made it even more real. (laughs) I mean, but, and if you think about it, like, that is how some people think. Yeah. If they can't imagine someone doing it, then there's just absolutely no No way way in the world that that person did it. Most Carthaginians, according to Hollingsworth, they at this time they were very conservative, both politically and socially. And even though they agreed that Bernie was gay, and they called him a little light in his loafers, stop it. <laughs> stop. The idea of this friendly, chubby-cheeked gay man shooting his unpopular, rude, elderly female companion was just outrageous. They just refused. So they didn't think he did, even though he said he did, or they were just okay with it. Both. Both. Some people are like, there. There's no way. There's no way he did it, even though he's admitting he did it and right. telling everybody every detail. Correct. And then the people who were like, okay, he maybe he did do it. Maybe he's confessed and he is. He did do it. She was mean and made him do it. So it was this, and then people were like, we don't care if he did it. We're not convicting him because we like him and we didn't like her. Like, this was the conversations. Despite his confession, though, Bernie still was tried for the murder of Marjorie Nugent. During Bernie's trial, law enforcement official Lanny Mims, who was present when the granddaughter opened the... the, So, he was the one in the room with the granddaughter. Oh, okay. So, Officer Mims was the one who actually opened the freezer. Mm -hmm. And he testified on the day that he did remove Alexandria, that's the granddaughter, Mm -hmm. from the pantry where the freezer was located before he pulled the before he opened the freezer yeah. and pulled the white sheet back to expose a human head. Oh, Once Marjorie Nugent was removed for the free, from the freezer, her body had to thaw for 2 days. Can you imagine being the autopsy what was a medical examiner? Yeah. Can you imagine having to thaw an Somebody. 81-year-old woman's remains no, out to examine them? Mm-mm. There's just something really sad to me about her living 81 years. I don't care what her character was. Like, I'm not here to be a character defense of Marjorie Nugent. I didn't know the woman. But there's just something so... She thought she was about to go to the grocery store or something. That Bernie was taking her on an outing. Yeah. And he shot her. In the back. And then froze her for nine months. And then as a woman who you know had taken such pride in her... she You know she was a dignified woman in life. Yeah. I mean, she had all this money, all this, mm-hmm. you know, this wealth and... To know her dead body was in a freezer. And she thawed for two days. <sighs> Like meat. Like, that's all I can think of is like when I tell Brandon to set out hamburger meat. Mm-hmm. That's how, what happened mm-hmm. to this woman. It's really, really sad. So after she was sufficiently able to be examined, the medical examiner did find four bullet wounds in her back. According to the state medical examiner, a man named Joseph Prep. I think it's Prolo, who conducted the autopsy in 1997, Miss Nugent's injuries would have rendered her paralyzed from the waist down. Mm. So the initial shot 
would have paralyzed her. Yeah. After testimony and back and forth about whether or not Marjorie was estranged from her family for years and was truly alone with Bernie, in the end, it didn't matter. Bernhardt Tita II was convicted of murdering Marjorie Nugent, and he was sentenced to life in prison. According to every source, Bernie was a model prisoner. And so that, you would think, that's where this story ends. Oh, gosh, because you said was a model prisoner. Yes. In 2011, a guy named Richard Linklater created a movie about Bernie, Marjorie, and their complex relationship. The movie was called Bernie. And I think I've seen parts of it before. Oh, I But definitely. I don't recall. You don't remember this movie? No, I do remember it. But I don't. And when you're talking about this, I realize that I have seen it. But I'm going to need a refresher. Okay. So, I watched the movie and I thought it was really good. Jack Black yes. played Bernie. Uh-huh. And he's one of my favorites. Yeah. And he did a really good job, especially of creating this likable jovial man that everyone would love mm-hmm. while at the same time Marjorie was played by Shirley MacLaine which is perfect perfect and she was exactly whatever pe- isn't she the Weeza on fried green tea yep. or not for uh still magnolias yes okay yes um everyone agreed that Shirley MacLaine portrayed everyone who was interviewed in Carthage said that Shirley MacLaine nailed Margie, yeah. and that she did a perfect portrayal. Based on the first-hand accounts and media sources, Linklater's movie definitely painted the elderly lady in a list less than flattering light. She was portrayed as mean, rude, and terribly bossy. I think my kids would describe me as that. Maybe, oh, know. gosh. <laughs> At least one of them. The movie was very successful and introduced millions of people to the strange story of Bernie and Marjorie and the strange murder that rocked the small town of Texas. There's a small town of Carthage, Texas. After the success of the movie and after spending almost 18 years in prison, Bernie Tita filed an appeal in 2014. In the appeal, filed by his new attorney, a lady named Jody Cole, Bernie claims that he was sexually abused as a child and that his relationship with Margie Nugent had become, guess what, abusive. Oh. Yeah. This did not come out in the first trial. So, in 1997, when he confessed, none of this was talked about. Mm -hmm. So, a psychiatrist who examined Bernie testified at the hearing that Bernie had experienced a, quote, brief disassociative episode when he shot Marjorie Nugent in the back. He said that Bernie's ability to repress and compartmentalize the abusive events from his childhood and adolescence was ultimately overwhelmed by the repeated and extensive psychological abuse suffered from Miss Nugent. So this is what that basically says. Bernie was abused. He as moved a, the gun. He moved. The, it, that doesn't say that, but he moved the gun. Yeah. Yes. He didn't. I don't believe snap. this. Yeah. Like snapping means he would have strangled her. Right. Or knocked her in the head with a baseball. Snapping would be knocking her in the head with a blunt object. Right. But like you said, he moved the gun. So based on this argument, the judge granted the appeal and Bernie was released from prison into the custody of Richard Linklater, the filmmaker, after $10,000 bail was posted. (laughs) I wish y'all could see Angela's face. (laughs) What? 
The judge ordered that Bernie live with the Austin filmmaker until the state criminal appeals court formally signed off on a sentence reduction. So they, it wasn't like they were exonerating him anyway. They were just saying, okay, based on this new evidence, mm-hmm. we think his, the time he has served is sufficient. So they ha- but they have to send it up to the state appeals court. But they're going to let him wait it out, not in prison. Not in prison. They're going to let him wait it out in Austin, which if you're from Texas, you know, Austin, yeah. he's probably having a good time down there. Interestingly, when the appeal was filed and the agreement for a lighter sentence was reached, it would be none other than old Danny Buck Davidson, that DA who had prosecuted him almost two decades before, who would sign off on this reduced sentence. Really? That's how compelling the argument was at this time. That even the guy who had put him in prison for life said, okay, you're I, right. I agree to I get the lesser it. charge. Yes. Obviously, this development was unexpected and shocked the family of Marjorie Nugent. They were pissed. And guess what one of her granddaughters had become? A mortician? A lawyer. Oh. That would have been even better, though. <laughs> That would have been a way better twist of the story. It seemed for a moment that Bernie was going to get his freedom. He still faced the criminal charges about about stealing money from Mm -hmm. Marjorie. But in 2014, it seemed like society felt that Bernie Tita had paid his price for the crime of murder. On April the 6th, 2016, Bernie Tita, Bernie II, resentencing trial began. Numerous witnesses were called. And back and forth about Marjorie, her estranged family, and the role that Bernie played in her life. And the death, all of that played out in court. Mm -hmm. And finally, almost 20 days later, on April the 22nd, after two years of relative freedom, three weeks of testimony during the second trial, and only four hours of deliberation, a jury of Bernie Tita's peers sentenced him to 99 years to life (gasps) in prison. Oh. Two months later, the charges stemming from Barney. Barney. Why do I say Barney? I I think I'm... I, I, you need to do the next case. <laughs> Barney stealing Marjorie's money. Those, case, those charges were dropped. Another appeal was filed in 2017, but the Texas Appellate Court up, upheld the 99 years to life sentence. According to sources, as of 2021, Barney Tita the popular mortician. He is currently living out his sentence in a Texas prison. He will be 71 years old on August the 2nd of 2029, the day that he will become eligible for parole. Oh, wow. So that, Ange? Did he get her money? He did not. (laughs) He did not. And I'm assuming that... since I don't know the legality. Like, I would be interested if we have a lawyer who listens. Um... I would be interested to know what the legal portion, since she had changed her will to leave everything to Bernie, but he's convicted of her murder. Obviously, he cannot inherit her estate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that means by default it goes to her surviving heir. Yeah. I would, my common sense know what, yeah. would tell he me would that that's what happens, but I, but I don't know legally what happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that's the story. And, and again, it's, you need to rewatch the movie. Maybe yeah, we should watch it to. together, pop some popcorn and get some wine. Because it's it's sad 
it's kind of funny at times, which is not okay. Yeah. Jack Black. Jack Black mm-hmm. is funny. Yeah. Um, and Shirley MacLaine is awful. Yeah. And so, you know, it's... And even if everything they say about both of them is true, at the end of the day, he still shot her. It's not okay. Four times in the back. Yeah. If she was my grandmother, I don't care how I mean, she was. mean she was. You can't shoot my grandmother. You can't shoot my mamma in the back four times and then put her body in a freezer. Honestly, that's almost the part that pisses me off. Yeah, the that he so desecrate, desecrated her yeah. in that way. But, uh, but yeah, that's the story of Bernie. I think we should watch the movie. And um, I don't really know how to end it other than just saying, if you're annoyed by someone that much, stop. Walk away. Walk, yes, walk away and just get a job. Yeah. And take care of yourself. Agreed. I guess that's what we should. I guess that we shouldn't see if the local yeah, funeral home has any openings. My, I'm not going to put myself in that place. <laughs> yeah. I think we should just do what we're doing. I think we should just yeah. have our second job of a podcast and go to work every day. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. We'll continue on. Yes. Well, cheers. Cheers. Yay. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bottle of Bedlam. Send a recommendation for a case at bottleofbedlam at gmail.com. Don't forget to drop your favorite wine in the comments of our episode by email or on social media. We're always looking for a wine to pair with our episodes.